super namaste and good evening to all our listeners your host for the evening is pratyasha on the countryside podcast of the rural post we bring you yet another quaint interview with our esteemed guest ashutosh tosharia he is currently working as senior manager programs in azim premji philanthropic initiatives empowering adolescent girls he also held the position of director in youth program in quest alliance ashutosh sir has worked as program manager education in american indian foundation the journey he covered in the development sector shows his steadfast commitment towards the betterment of marginalized sections of india especially shows his penchant for children and youth welcome to our podcast sir thank you uh, pratyasha good to be here and talking to you yeah it's an honor uh, to uh, do the podcast with you uh, so straight away jumping to the first question of today's episode uh, how do you think rural education is turning up in this very dark and murky scenario of covid 19 so as i think all of us know it's been quite a shock uh, this whole pandemic and i don't think anyone is anyone was prepared as well as we see enough uh, uh, examples now that even preparing for this pandemic uh, as time goes by proving to be very difficult for for government for organization for for the community uh, education per se has always been under a dark cloud so to say in india where there we you know all kinds of Uh, issues have existed uh, we were slowly 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 improving over the last 2 3 decades uh, but once you solve the enrollment problem then quality issues have, have persisted and there are reports coming out every year how uh, just the one the urban and rural divide is getting a lot of issues as well as education by itself doesn't get the sort of support that which is uh, it, it should be getting uh, in a big country like india uh, specifically coming to rural education i think this uh, uh schools are shut we all know that uh, there is no clarity when uh, they'll open and no fault uh, of the schools or the children but just in general there's so much uncertainty around when will the pandemic go away when will uh, the health the negative impacts of the pandemic in terms of health and well-being uh, when will they minimize to an extent that people would be willing to send their children back to school and government would take that call uh specifically i foresee and some of this has already started uh, coming in mainstream media you might have seen uh, uh, a reporter in indian express has shared a photograph uh, some days back of bhagalpur how a few children dropped out of school the schools are closed so they are not obviously going to school they can't study at home there is no way for them to do that so they were on the street uh, uh, doing uh, unfortunately what a lot of children in india Uh, end up doing on the streets, uh, cleaning, uh, picking waste, etc. Uh, and uh, then government got into action, and hopefully they, the families would have received some support right now in terms of food grains. I foresee massive dropout because of this, and globally this has happened. This happened also when uh, after Ebola, uh, there is recorded uh, history that how the dropout rates in Africa really, really increased substantially after the Ebola pandemic. Uh, Uh, early marriages for girls is a major issue uh, i think that's uh, something we will start seeing uh, trafficking of children is another big problem that perhaps is just around the corner if things don't fall back in place uh, for me the one of the most important issues is uh, the breakdown in the midday meal system in in schools is really hitting 
the community, especially the children, uh, very hard. And I'll come to that later. Uh, another interesting thing you, you would have noticed that over the last few years, a lot of low-cost, affordable private schools have come up in the country. A lot of these exist in small towns and in rural India. Uh, now, they are literally staring at a scenario when they'll be out of business very soon. And from the numbers that we have, there are around 2.7 lakh affordable schools uh, in the country right now, affordable private schools, and almost close to 7.5 million, oh, sorry, 79 million to 80 million kids go there. So that's a big number. And if these schools close down, uh, these children would then have to be re-enrolled in the government system. I'm not sure if the government education machinery is is uh, is uh, looking forward to that, or are they up to the task? Are they planning? Um, they should be, ideally. Uh, now, in all of this, and this is all very gloomy, in all of this, one interesting thing that's primarily coming out of rural uh, schools and the rural education space is a lot of new experiments, a lot of improvisation teachers and educators are doing. Uh, teaching through loudspeakers, or there are teachers in uh, tribal Gujarat who are bringing students who don't have television at their homes or who don't have phones at their homes, getting them to a, a center or the school and giving them their mobile phone and all these at least five, six kids, uh, they maintain the minimum social distancing norms and they are able to study. We have seen government of Kerala has launched a whole education channel. Uh, a lot of panchayat-based efforts are on in Kerala to make sure there is no child who doesn't have access to television, if they can't give a TV to the home, they bring these kids out and there is a television set uh, at the common centers in the village where they can study. Uh, so, as, and this, has, this is something that happens always. We have all, the whole gloom of uh, education and how there are so many things that don't work. At the same time, there are these green shoots or people who are willing to go out of the way and do interesting stuff. So right now all of this is happening, but just to summarize, I think it's a fairly, fairly significant shock and a shock that we'll perhaps feel many years from now as well if things really don't get back into shape in a very, very quick way. Yeah, plus uh, there are, you know, uh, infrastructural challenges, not like only uh, the midday meals have stopped. There is, uh, There was always an issue of uh, drinking water and, you know, hand washing, uh, washing facilities, electricity, and there is cramped up class classrooms. And, uh, you know, I feel like uh, this has to be reconceptualized, like uh, to you ensure equity and quality in education. Like uh, various dialects might uh, go, uh, you know, uh, uh, it won't be inculcated in their uh, education. I think uh, like uh, along with the infrastructure, they have to focus with that. So my next question regarding uh, will be regarding this only. So uh, how do you think education institutes, um, NGOs and government, uh, state government or uh, central government can collaborate together to fill in the gaps and explore new opportunities? Like you said, uh, how they are working in Kerala, what uh, else they can inculcate? So that you know, it, uh, the rural education takes a hike in this uh, scenario and post-pandemic also. So I feel the most important thing, and I'm uh, going with uh, the general inclination governments tend to show or have shown over the last few years. The most important thing is not to run away from the problem. Uh, mm -hmm. Acknowledge it exists. Uh, we can't say things are normal and things will will be back. Uh, uh, because the education is a long-term play, you invest today and you reap results or the the ROI in a way 
comes to you few years from now it won't come today but for those years you have to continuously focus on and the sort of thing you are saying you have to continue to invest in education mm-hmm. with a very core belief that this will lead to a much better world a much better country uh so that is the first thing i think acceptance of the fact that it is a big problem it will need a long term solution as well as short term mid term all kinds of strategies and uh, tactical inputs from all sides uh, i think a few things that should definitely be a focus one is and again i'll now come back to the mid meal scheme i think it's paramount that the 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 flow of uh, nutrition and food to children doesn't stop uh, we have seen at least initially some government started or continued the midday meal program and the food was delivered to to, to homes in villages uh, that has to continue there is no reason for stopping that because once if the midday meal thing breaks down see there are two problems children don't get to eat good food the families are as it is under a state of shock a significant economic shock there is no guarantee whether they'll be able to sustain uh, life as you know it and the second thing is midday meal is also a big consumer of ration of vegetables uh, that are sold across the country uh, it will mean if we stop uh, cooking that food for uh, millions of our children then all the, these grains they are just lying there there is no potential use and we don't know where all this people or farmers would sell these vegetables or these pulses uh, or rice milk egg all of this so these are i think the paramount need is to make sure children survive this uh, this pandemic they shouldn't we put we shouldn't be putting their health uh, on on the line and their lives on the line the second thing is uh, there are quite a few schemes uh, which which we know of icds has been working it's a fairly broad based well established scheme there are programs for adolescent girls there are programs for uh, children of, of other age groups uh a lot of these link to are uh, linked to their health uh, output or just making sure they are healthy and they are in a way looking forward to uh, to going to school etc so none of these should actually uh, see any dip in the allocations uh, we know there is some more money that the government has allocated for for mandrega i think similarly if needed some of these schemes which already exist with the on ground mechanisms they should be getting more funds from the government uh it's important to keep the children active we do know uh that there is no way to complete the syllabus we shouldn't be focused on completing the syllabus i think government along with there are enough ngos working across the country there are enough mechanisms of school management committees sags panchayats there is a whole education bureaucracy uh they shouldn't be worried about how will we complete the syllabus if the kids are healthy uh if they are at home can something be done with them which keeps them active uh, which keeps their mind sort of engaged in in any sort of learning it need not be a textbook or uh, a lesson delivered on a tv channel uh and the biggest force i feel to make this happen is uh, there are the teachers i was talking about or the educators who are really improvising and doing so much and i wonder why can't just we get them we all kinds of webinars are happening everywhere with uh, specialists and civil society and corporates and the government talking about so many things why can't we get 5 10 15 20 teachers who come together and share the sort of experiences what sort of innovations and experiments they have done so this is the only way uh not our education system the only way it will perhaps uh, i'm not using the word make the most but it it will 
survive it probably can uh, do a decent job of coming out of this pandemic is if the decentralization is absolute we already know there are decentralized structures but teachers are still governed by a very top down uh, mechanism so they should just be let to do left to do all the innovations that they want with a single focus children need to be healthy they need to be engaged and they shouldn't be dropping out of school because the negative impact of drop out would be significant and we might not get them back in the schooling system easily in the next few years and then they are gone for pretty much for for good uh, government can also ensure there is a lot of funding in education from csr from uh, the, the, all the private funding that comes in the development sector education has continued to be the biggest sector that attracts all the funding uh, maybe there is a reason to not tell the csrs to divert funds to pm cares and continue to fo focus on education continue to make sure that in at least some of the pockets where these projects happen those pockets are able to uh, to sort of uh, manage the pandemic and 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 uh, continue to just be alive and be active uh, a lot of i think uh, across our villages across the small towns we have a lot of old adolescents so people in their or like young people early early 20s who have done college they might be sitting at home there are people who might have finished their colleges and looking to go for work to cities but they now cannot at least there is a gap that they are all uh, sort of going through can they be used or can they be requested to and it needs a lot of micro mobilization which i don't think is a big problem given our structures and how we are spread as a country but uh, can they come in and play a role can they work with kids whether it's phone calls it's talking to 2 3 4 10 kids in a day even if it's one on one keep give them something that they can really solve uh, for for their communities uh, that could be a big uh, and i'm talking about young people who are well educated who might even be in their class 11 12 if they don't have exams or if they're done with their exams and exams are scrapped etc can they really focus on solving this problem and uh, and the last thing i think there is enough uh, unfortunately a lot of the attention in the mainstream media continues to be on exams i think we should uh, not worry about curriculum when it comes to at least primary upper primary education or secondary education to make sure kids are their hope is alive and they don't give up or they don't lose hope completely because then there is no point of even when the pandemic ends uh, we we don't want to be in classrooms where uh, kids don't turn up because they know there is no point in doing any of this so that perhaps is important so more less focus on curriculum more on enabling them to uh, be be sort of i'm not saying happy but at least be hopeful that we'll come out of this and at least their minds are engaged uh that was really insightful sir i especially like the collaboration of youth with the children uh, for education purposes for overall communities uh, but uh, i also wanted to ask that uh, what do you think about digitalization in rural areas for you know uh, education like it will, is it a successful venture and uh, should the government focus more uh, on that and how uh, what should be the path to do that i don't think government should focus more on that i think at any point it is a suboptimal uh, solution for school education uh, leave aside rural even in urban areas i don't see technology being an answer it's just that we are stuck in a situation and that's where i that's what i meant when we say once we accept where we are and we know maybe a stopgap arrangement is and technology is one of the options right if suppose 
20% of your children in rural India have a television at home, I'm just taking that as a number, uh, the percentage would be higher, and maybe some a small percentage also has smartphone, maybe they can continue to engage in classroom through that. At the same time, you'll need non-tech or very uh, sort of real intervention, that's where young people come in, that's where maybe the, the panchayat spaces, the common spaces where you can put a screen and a projector or a television, they come in. Technology by itself might help us uh, keep the lights on for some months, but it's not a solution and I don't think government should be, at least when it comes to rural education, they shouldn't be worried too much about investing in, in technology. There is enough content already out there as long as we are able to uh, make sure children are, uh, they, they are not dropping out of the school education system, then uh, they can at some point uh, access it, but it's not something I would bank on uh, in, as, as a long-term play. Okay, so it shouldn't be the new normal, at least in education uh, aspect. Okay, so uh, now uh, I would like to ask about, you know, uh, we are in a uh, dire need of skill development in our nation. It was before pandemic and uh, even now, uh, basically, uh, it should be uh, more when masses in rural areas uh, have lost their livelihood very abruptly. And uh, uh, so how do you think we can bring in new uh, innovative ways to make people, uh, you know, uh, upscale their uh, skills and be up to uh, the mark so as to make, uh, you know, the, uh, take up any challenges bravely, such as uh, what happened with this COVID-19 situation? So my uh, experience of understanding this whole space of young people, how many, where they are, what they do, what they know, uh, what can they do is a... Now that tells me that one, I think, to be honest, I don't foresee India, even before COVID, I, I, I was quite certain it will be difficult given our economic trajectory right now to absorb all these young people in dignified paid work because the numbers are so large and our economy is perhaps not growing it as it should. Uh, so that's a big problem. Uh, COVID has only a, a really uh, sort of given wheels to that whole issue and the economy is further sliding down uh, or rather has already fallen off a cliff. Uh, now, when we talk about young people, obviously they're there are two sides. For children, I think just the education by itself is a is an end, and we don't have to worry about the market. We don't have to worry about what will happen when they reach class 12. Will they become engineers or plumbers or whatever? The young people, I think the market or the economy plays a far, far bigger role because any sort of training you do with them, the eventually all of them, or most of them rather, would want some sort of economic outcome for themselves and their families. Uh, now, if you see, recently there was a initiative that was launched, I think it's called ASIM. It's an acronym for something which primarily uh, gets people to register and there's a lot of big ticket data collection being done on who is where and who's skilled, who's not skilled. Now, these MISs have, exist, have sort of existed in India for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, perhaps didn't get the sort of attention they, they should have. Uh, hopefully, that happens now. Broadly, there are three categories of people we'll end up with. Uh, you'll have people who are skilled. Uh, these They might have come back, and these are all young people who have gone back to rural India. They might be skilled in a particular type of work while they were in the cities. Then there'll be people who will be unskilled or semi-skilled, but they're looking to work. Uh, so they are wanting to earn, and they are 
are willing to do something for that. And then there's a third category which has always existed is young people who are not necessarily looking to get into the workforce right now. They are eligible, they form uh, broadly, they fall under the category that we'll call eligible to work. They are part of the statistics, but they're not necessarily looking to uh, earn right away. Uh, now we'll have to deal with all these three. Uh, the first big challenge is again, uh, education we still, because it's a far more mature sector, we've had very good data for over many years. When it comes to young people, we just don't know what's happening, right? The data is very, very uh, thin, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's hidden, we, and doesn't come out. A lot of the surveys that were happening are now stopped. So we don't know the quantum of the problem. Only thing we know, it's large, and it's uh, now large, and it's like a very, very distressful situation with COVID. Uh, so the first thing to do would be to just make sure to whatever extent we can do this mapping of who falls under which of these three categories that is done. Uh, and this has to be really led by sensible people being done by probably the highest level where I'm not saying the chief minister or the chief minister's office starts collecting data, but they need to really monitor this very closely uh, while the labor department or whichever ministry in each of these states, in all our states, they are collecting this data. Uh, virtual skilling or skill development, at least some of it through virtual means is slightly easier for young people because of their access to technology. Uh, it was much difficult in schools, but in uh, when it comes to young people, there is a lot more that can be achieved. Uh, I would specifically say given the sort of, even the psycho uh, psychological shock that the pandemic has created across board, young people are sometimes slightly more susceptible to these things. Uh, a lot of the focus has to be on just their mindset. So it's not about getting 30 people from Odisha from a cluster which has historically given India a lot of good plumbers and just blindly training them on plumbing. It's also about making sure they're ready for a post-COVID work scenario where work might not be what it was pre-COVID. They can't, maybe they can't just go to Bangalore and get absorbed in urban class. There might be a lot of other things they'll face which they need to tackle and so that mindset building is very very critical uh, the second important thing would be uh, or rather third so data virtual skilling especially with a lot of focus on just a positive mindset and how do you look forward to to persevere and just do things uh, the third thing would be women shouldn't be left out of any of this uh, our labor force participation for women is very very bad uh, and that was pre-COVID. Usually any shock in India really hits women more than men. Uh, and so that has to be a very concrete, uh, concrete strategy and I'll, I'll talk about that in some time. Uh, again, the fundamental thing here is that a young person today, and I'm assuming, think of a 12 to 18 month phase now, starting perhaps, uh, starting in August 2020, when we'll still be very uncertain about which way this whole thing is going. Maybe after that, uh, there would be enough people who have been vaccinated and maybe there are enough vaccines around and there is enough medication and the health system is far better prepared. Now, young people also have to make sure that their health is not affected. And somehow that needs to be part of the whole skilling paradigm. That the, what sort of behaviors are needed in different sort of scenarios, we don't know once life gets back to normal and even if it doesn't get back to normal once they go back to work what will happen where will they live where will they stay will employers give them accommodation will they be living in hostels or will they be living in shanties in urban areas 
so health has to be discussed with them that how do you stay healthy what is the minimum that needs to be expected from companies employing them uh, what is the minimum that we need to tell them to so that informed well enough to not take a uh, or not feel helpless uh, sort of when they are in a city and i'm saying this a lot of people will migrate back to cities i guess for work when it comes to i think just the rural economy there are enough ideas that i think now uh, then they've been around in different forms and shapes but all of a sudden people have started talking about some of this whether it's decentralization of the of the industrial base can companies or factories reach small towns so i don't have to migrate from uh, bhagalpur to calcutta or delhi i can migrate maybe from bhagalpur to the nearest or from any small town near bhagalpur to a city like bhagalpur or maybe go to patna and not go all the way to delhi or bombay to work Uh, so that needs a lot of planning uh, as well uh, now all of that is a market side what perhaps is slightly easier and in under control or in or government ideally should be in control is what happens to the input how will you train these people once you have mapped there needs to be a way to get information to them get some new knowledge to them uh, there are already a few structures there are industrial training institutes which you can find In, in across the country there are a lot of nehru yuva camps uh, and these training spaces need to now be completely reinvigorated and i'm not saying tech enabled training but their purpose has to be rejigged and they really need to start focusing on training people in large numbers and focusing on core fundamentals of mindset building of innovation of, uh, of life skills of understanding how this is the first pandemic right a lot of people are saying you know, how do you continue to grow as a young person in this country continue to tackle all the sort of challenges that happen and at the same time are able to manage if another pandemic strikes so a lot of this need to be done through the existing training ecosystem so when a young person or a or a kid leaves class 10 and decides not to study they shouldn't be just jumping on a train and coming to a city for work uh, ITs have to be I think enabled enough. Nehru Yuva Kendra have to be aspirational enough for this kid to go there and say, uh, train me on something, and I'll be then maybe it will be worthwhile my time to aspire for a job. So some of this work, which is already has been on the drawing board, and a lot of interesting experiments have happened across the country. That I think is important. The important thing again is in the absence of good data, none of this will be easy to do and rather difficult to do. I, I would assume it will be much much uh, easier if we again accept the problem, get good data in place, and there is no harm in. Uh, there shouldn't be any shame in saying that we are stuck in a in a very very bad place, and we really need to uh, outthink ourselves if we have to do something with young people because it's uh, much much bigger, and engaging them on uh, TikToks or like political mobilization that. that that helps no one right uh, that's not the end of uh, of youth in a country like india we really have to make sure they are doing something worthwhile and they are contributing to the families to the communities and to the society at large okay so the focus uh, should be majorly on you know uh, updating the skill management information system for the accurate data so that we can uh, get to know who is in what category uh that was uh, really interesting uh, to know your thoughts about this so uh, as a la- last question of today's podcast uh, i wanted to ask like uh, 
one of the harsh and bitter realities is um, even though uh, in some of the states such as Kerala and Maharashtra, we have uh, seen tremendous results in supporting women in forms of number of uh, n number of SAGs. But uh, it's still a very slow and dim progress in poorer regions such as Odisha or Jharkhand. So how do we get to empower these women and adolescent girls at the same time in these regions through education or uh, skill development or any programs? So this is, I think, with or without COVID, I, I feel this is a fundamental uh, shift that our country has or should be making uh, because I, I think data tells us, and this has been an historical, uh, in a way, mistake that we have made, uh, where we perhaps just don't respect uh, the capacity uh, as, as a nation. I'm not saying as men. We committed, I think, enough sins as men to make sure women don't get to come out of the house and girls are not allowed to dream. And in a way, the whole society and the whole country is, it, it's, structured in a things are structured in a way relationships are structured in a way that if you are a woman today you know you are far smarter compared to uh, the, the the man in the house or in the neighborhood but you somehow don't get to you will not get to access all the opportunities that he'll get to access so this has had to change now for for a long time now maybe covid has that hopefully it should uh, any uh, and something i said earlier we know after demonetization, I think more women uh, got out of uh, or lost their work and earning uh, than men. Any lockdown, anything that happens, which is uh, always has disproportionate impact on women. In this case, I think young girls are uh, are far, far more susceptible. They'll drop out in bigger numbers. They'll be trafficked. They'll get married uh, at a very early age. Uh, and all of this happens even when we have a lot of uh, teachers, there are a lot of SSGs doing whatever they do, but everyone is busy struggling with how their work has changed, how their life has changed. Somewhere, I think a lot of focus has to be on bringing or making sure one, girls don't drop out and girls continue to be in the most logical, or continue to reach the most logical level of education, higher education, school education, whatever is possible in, in, their, in their scenarios. They shouldn't be asked to leave school. And this needs massive amount of community mobilization. This needs a lot of difficult decisions that people and functionaries across board. It's not enough for a minister to say to say in Delhi that we won't allow this to happen. It has to really, really go down to the bureaucracy at the village level and all the community institutions to just make sure this doesn't happen. And I'm including civil society organizations which are who are already playing a big role will continue to uh, play this role. Uh, I feel there are no short answers to this. I think certainly deserves uh, a, a much larger conversation. But if I, in my mind, I think everything has to come down to are we helping girls? And I'm starting with that age group of 12, 13, 14, 15, that are we really focusing on agency building or are we just giving them some subjects that they learn and they clear their exams with good results? Agency primarily would mean are they being enabled to make their decisions and act on what they decide. Uh, that decision could be that I want to talk in a panchayat meeting, I want to talk to my parents and negotiate to and tell them please don't take me out of the school. That uh, decision could be that I really want to pursue college. If 
there is no college in my neighborhood or in my town how do i do it can i do it online can i do it through some other means uh, that decision could also be i don't want to get married when i'm 18 or 19 i would rather wait for 2 3 4 years do something and then see whether i want to get married uh, so and all the institutions that are working with these girls have to now then start focusing on agency uh, interestingly uh, in india when you look at data and female labor force participation has been very bad sometimes the explanation given is women as families earn more women drop out of work and uh, they don't necessarily drop out they walk out of work uh, now this is the explanation you'll hear from a lot of quarters now factually this is incorrect women in a survey and when nsso data gets collected when people are asked uh, or when women specifically in in households are asked what do you want to do a lot of them say they are looking to work they already do a lot of work unfortunately they are not paid for it so a lot of the care work that happens in india india happens to be right on top perhaps at the second number if i'm not wrong in terms of unpaid care work done by women uh so there are it's a double triple dami for them they want to work they can't they want to be in control of their lives unfortunately all the social social cultural constraints that we face as a country or that we have enabled in our country over the over the years uh don't allow them to really do a lot of the things they would want to do and they should be doing uh and the interesting thing is sgs might not be able to solve this problem right we need very smart uh and very quick response to this situation otherwise it it's just every year it just piles on and the problem just becomes bigger uh i think sgs were a great great innovation uh, should continue to work and we have seen how sgs has primarily become a women sort of a space to to do a lot of creative work and generate income for themselves their families their communities same time adolescent groups is another potential already it's there in policy books it's there on the ground in in some quarters can they be embedded in the panchayats can they really plan for themselves uh, all the money that is meant for adolescent girls in a village is that money actually reaching them or not Uh, maybe they should be in uh, they should be in control of that uh, and i i can draw a parallel and i was just thinking about this how in good management colleges or a lot of colleges now students tend to lead a lot of efforts around placements around all kinds of events now can we trust the these adolescent groups to really lead that effort and it could be a mix of boys and girls and they are really going out telling the panchayat what to do they are being enabled in planning and executing a lot of the plans for their own betterment and at least helping them enough to cross this threshold of from 15 16 17 into like 21 22 that sort of a four five age year period that is very critical when a lot of these decisions are made usually made for them on uh, or on their behalf by someone but can they take control and say that we will make these decisions and we know uh, how this needs to be done so i i'll stop it i think it's a far far complex uh, thing but definitely more focus on agency across board um, stop worrying about finishing curricular sector and the education uh, maybe more institutes or more industrial training institutes more nyks which are recruiting or enrolling women across board and a massive amount of community mobilization uh, that is is needed to just make sure we 
and then I say we primarily men start behaving when it comes to allowing girls to do what they want. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, that was some really amazing insights, especially on uh, women empowerment. So uh, now the podcast is a wrap. Uh, it was a really uh, enriching experience talking to you about the you know ground realities of rural education and skill development, uh, especially the aspect for uh, women empowerment. And uh, I hope our listeners also learned a lot as I did. Uh, and I want to thank you for uh, taking out your time and being enthusiastic enough for delivering this valuable podcast. Uh, we wish to foster more such interactions with you. Uh, so uh, lastly, I would like to thank our listeners. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, ruralpost.org, to know our journey of unfolding rural India. Signing off, your host, Pratyasha. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pratyasha. Take care. Bye-bye.